Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to The Last Watch by J.S. Dewis. Chapter 9 48 hours, not half bad. He'd lasted longer than he'd expected, to be honest. Cavallon had been following Bray down long corridor after long corridor, and with every turn it became increasingly clearer where they were headed. The hangar. Those creative punishments Rake mentioned, he wasn't an idiot. Hangers were home to one of the few things he dreaded more than Rake's wrath. Airlocks. He'd heard enough horror stories of marauders wandering the inward expanse to have earned a proper fear of the ways in which one could turn an airlock into a torture device. Sensory deprivation, slow, drawn-out depressurizations, or what had to be far, far worse, the opposite, hacking the controls and over-cranking the pressure. At least hypoxia would offer some fun hallucinations or make you sleepy and oblivious after a time. But being slowly drowned in an excess of atmospheric gases until your cell membranes disintegrated, collapsing your lungs, detaching your retinas, while being overcome with vertigo and convulsions all while puking your guts out? No thanks. Rake didn't seem the needless torture type, at least. A little tightly wound, maybe, but nothing a couple of weeks on a beach in the outer core drowning herself in cocktails wouldn't fix. So he had to assume if she bothered killing him, she'd probably do it quickly. He blew out a long breath and sidelined the morbid train of thought, staring at the back of Bray's boots as he tried to put a finger on what had pushed Rake over the edge. Though he wouldn't be surprised if he'd screwed up and didn't realize it. He thought he'd been doing better, for the most part. Sure, he'd found that weird copy of himself amusing, and she'd rightfully reprimanded him, but he'd returned to his endless moping and hadn't said a single snarky thing all day. And he'd fixed the literal shit out of that latrine tank the other night. Rake had to have noticed he was trying, even if he sucked at it. He slicked his hair away from his forehead, plastered with cold sweat. Maybe it would just be a threat. Look what fate will befall you if you don't stop being such an errant tool. Cavallon followed Bray around another corner, and their pace slowed. He looked up to find Rake, standing inside a small storage room, with a man he'd seen on the bridge the last couple of days, usually hovering anxiously over his terminal. The conversation hushed as they approached. Rake gave Bray a curt nod. Thanks, Bray. You can go. Bray saluted and left. Oculus, have you met Optio, Jack, and North? Not properly, sir. Cavallon walked into the small room and shook Jackin's hand. Cavallon mer- er, uh, Cavallon, sir. Good to meet you. Jackin raised a thick eyebrow and gave Rake a sidelong glance. Good to meet you, too. Rake ignored Jackin's apparent skepticism as she held up a cylindrical container. She looked at Cavallon expectantly. He cleared his throat. You've, uh, got a warp core there. We do, Rake replied. What's that all about? That's classified. His eyes narrowed, his instincts cultivating a handful of particularly snarky responses, but he hesitated. Rake wasn't giving him that look of exasperated tolerance he'd already grown accustomed to. Instead, she looked at him with a kind of calculated hope that made him worry he'd somehow already failed her. I understand. 
His eyes widened, surprised by his own response. Sir? We need this recharged, she said. Is that possible? Theoretically or practically? Immediately. Her serious look didn't waver. He nodded slowly. Fair enough. He took the canister and turned it over in his hands. A small amount of glowing blue assium flowed along the glass encasement within. Depends on the ship in question, but this is maybe a quarter of what you'd need just to do a baseline warp. Baseline? Rake asked. How far is that? Not far enough, Jackin answered. Cavallon raised an eyebrow. How far is far enough? Carngate. Rake glared at Jackin. What? Jackin shrugged. He was your idea. He can't help us if we keep him in the dark. Cavallon's face scrunched. Her idea? It sounded so disparaging, like he existed merely as a means to an end, some begrudgingly conjured solution. However, the more he thought about it, the more he realized it meant they actually needed him for something, even if only to answer weird questions. With an effort, Cavallon wiped the scorn off his face and refocused his confused displeasure on their decidedly odd line of questioning. Caron Gate? Why not Eris? Jackin shook his head. Caron's closer, by a lot, probably four or five hundred times. Really? Cavallon asked. That's not the one I came in on. No? Rake's brow creased, and Jackin scratched his short beard with both hands. No, Cavallon said. We came in at Arisgate, then limped our way here at warp speed, ate through quite a pile of cores, took three weeks. Seemed like the long-ass way around to me. Rake sighed, and Cavallon's face warmed. Sir, he added, but that didn't appear to be why she'd sighed. She squeezed her temples with one hand. Maybe Karin's just overbooked. Yeah, Jackin said with a scoff. Except there's about two things you can get to from that gate, and we're one of them. Off topic, Optio. Yeah, boss, sorry. Cavallon chewed the inside of his lip. Why in the universe did they need to get to an Apollo gate? He took a breath and pushed the thought aside. He should just give them the information they wanted, then quietly return to his endless task of single-handedly spit-shining the entire dreadnought. So is it possible to refuel it? Rake asked. Cavallon nodded, slowly, as he considered the options. Though he didn't have a truly eidetic memory, he'd gone through enough schooling that recalling facts on a whim had become second nature. You have missiles? Missiles? Rake asked. Yeah, bombs, warheads, in case the ghosts of the Viators show up so you can blow them out of the sky. Sir, she rolled her eyes. Yes, why? Missiles use ACM to fuel their thrusters. Jackin scoffed. That'd never be enough to fill this thing. Not from one, but this is an Alpha-class dreadnought. You should have at least a few dozen fusion missiles, right? We do, Rake said. If you combined the ACM from all of them... You'd have enough to warp to Karin? Jackin nodded. Yeah, it's possible. A single warp? Rake asked. You'd only need to get to the gate, Cavallon said. You can refuel there for the trip back. Okay, let's do it, she said. Cavallon, take whoever you need to Octo Sector and pull those warheads. 
Me? Cavallon scoffed. Fuck, what? I'm just the idea man. Jackin's voice hardened. You're whoever she says you are. Rake gripped the Optio's shoulder and his scowl faded. She leveled a flat look at Cavallon. You've got a degree that says otherwise. Yeah, a degree, Cavallon said. Not practical experience. I'm not sure anyone has practical experience draining combustible elements from live warheads. Cavallon's mouth gaped open. She couldn't be serious. Sure, he'd been well-schooled. He'd read texts and wrote papers and listened to professors drone on for practically his entire life, but it was a whole different affair to apply that knowledge empirically. Rake lowered her voice. If you wanted a chance, Oculus, she said, eyes earnest. This would be it. He shifted his weight, brow creasing. He knew what she meant. If he wanted to prove he could not be a fuck-up for once. She'd just said it more politely. He blew out a long breath. I'll need some supplies, he said. Some kind of glass-lined steel pressure canisters. The kind your hydro lab would use for nutrient concentrates should work. Plus two of whoever's got the steadiest hands. Rake opened her nexus. Bray, this is Rake. Go for Bray, sir. Find Emery and Warner and escort them to Octo Sector, ASAP. Yes, sir. Rake closed her nexus and looked to Cavallon. Meet them there, Oculus. Take whatever you need from the research lab and make short work of it. Cavallon had thought with absolute certainty he was the most annoying person on this ship. Yet there she stood, proving him all wrong, chewing on her gum as if it were the most arduous task in the universe. Flos, actually, but that's just the last name every orphan on Veritas gets. Emery took a deep breath before continuing. But whatever, those overrated gene pools gave me nothing. Why would I want their fucking name? Cavallon sighed. This was still her response to, I'm Cavallon, nice to meet you. Emery leaned against the armored wall of the dimly lit armament repair suite and continued her rant, crossing one bare ankle over the other. She had her pants rolled up to below her knees, revealing shins covered in a mess of black-inked tattoos, including a banner with the text Vita in Via. Street life, if memory served. Cavallon rolled his eyes. She wore the hood on her vest up and had ditched the undershirt in favor of displaying thin, bare arms covered in more black-inked tattoos, which were in turn covered in part by the sentinel-issue sparkling obsidian imprints. She'd replaced the shoelaces on her boots with silver-glittered neon-orange strings. It could not be proper dress protocol. They'd been in the same room for about 45 seconds, and Cavallon already knew her life story. Granted, recapping 19 years didn't take long when most of it could be summarized with the phrase pickpocket. She didn't seem particularly embarrassed by her unsavory history, but she did seem to think the Legion had been obligated to straighten her out and that they'd failed her in that regard. Obviously, Emery concluded, slouching against the wall and crossing her arms. Here I am, after all. She continued gnashing her gum as she grinned over at Cavallon's second assistant. Warner stood hunched at the in-wall terminal, a stocky, thick-muscled man whose skin was almost the exact same shade of sandy brown as his buzzed hair. He had literally not spoken a word yet. 
Not that one could be expected to get anything in edgewise with Emery in the room. I mean, they go to great lengths to say it's not a prison, but let's be real, guys, right? Emery shrugged. But what the hell ever, this is the first time they've called me out to do something useful. Plus, what better time to retrain my eye-hand coordination? Cavallon sighed. I think a lot of times are better than when you're pulling unstable elements out of functioning warheads. Her amusement dissolved and she squeaked. Unstable? Cavallon bit back his smile. To be honest, it'd be relatively safe, assuming no random sparks. But it'd shut the girl up for half a second, so he considered it a win. He let out a long breath, savoring the momentary silence. Despite his current irritation, he already had Emery earmarked as a useful contact. His three-month flight aboard the Mercer Royal Guard luxury cruise liner had served as a lovely forced detox, but if he ever felt like having a bit of a relapse, Emery'd be the first person he'd go to. She might not be stashing vials of Apex in her boots, but he could tell the type well enough. She certainly had the necessary connections, or at the very least a bottle or three of booze at her disposal. He wasn't overly picky about his vices. With how delightful life had been on this ship so far, that day would come sooner rather than later. He'd never been able to kick it for long before. Why would now be any different? Warner growled a string of what might have been curses under his breath as he continued to tap at the holographic terminal screens. Cavallon pinched the bridge of his nose to stave off the headache sprouting between his eyes, leaning back to rest on the workbench behind him. Extending over the small counter sat the articulated arm of a repair cradle, which would, in theory, retrieve a selected missile from storage for repair if they could figure out how to use the damn computer system. He really, really hoped the ACM they could gather from the missiles in storage would be enough. If they had to go around to the ones already in launch queues all over the ship, they'd be doing this for a week though he wasn't sure yet if that'd be better or worse than more endless mopping. Warner grunted and turned away from the terminal. It's no good, he rumbled, his gruff voice the tonal opposite of Emery's crisp, pitched timber. Giving some fucking error, unless you happen to know what return code 485C means. Cavallon scratched the back of his neck. Eh, afraid I'm a little rusty on my, uh armament maintenance software error codes. Who's your missile specialist? Emery snorted a laugh that turned into a brief coughing fit, and Warner just stared impassively. Cavallon let out an exasperated breath. There's gotta be some way to manually access the missile storage, right? Warner turned back to the terminal, tapping through screens. A few seconds later, he gave a reluctant nod. There's this weird list of drone protocols. He jutted his square chin toward a narrow grate along the bottom of the wall, opposite the workbench. That's apparently an access hatch for deploying automated repair drones. Could probably get in through that. Cavallon's eyebrows shot up. Automated? That was one of his very favorite words. Don't suppose you still got a few of those drones lying around? Emery chuckled, her constant mirth beginning to redden her pale cheeks. Even if we did, would you know how to program it to do whatever weird-ass thing you got us doing? Cavallon pinched his lips together. She had a point. All right, looks like we'll be taking the hands-on approach. 
He crossed the room, kneeling beside the access hatch to pull it open, but it didn't budge. Sucking in a breath, he grunted as he gave it another firm yank, making sure to keep his royal imprints deactivated. After Rake's comment about the morgue, he wanted nothing to do with volatile interfacing. This damn junk heap, Emery slid away from the wall and slunk toward him. Bet it's rusted shut. He glanced back toward the workbench. You guys got plasma knives around here? Warner breathed out a heavy grumble. He marched over, grabbed the handle with one hand, and yanked it open with seemingly zero effort. A haze of dust plumed out with it. Cavallon coughed as he accidentally inhaled a lungful, then slid Warner a frown. The man crossed his arms over his broad chest, then rumbled. You must have loosened it for me. Cavallon breathed a laugh and shook the dust from his hair. Right. Thanks, bud. He stepped back, sweeping his hands toward the open hatch. Any takers? Don't all jump at once. He looked between Emery and Warner, but they only stared back at him expectantly. Right, Cavallon sighed. Apparently this would be on him. Shit-cutting, shit-cutting. He muttered the phrase to himself like a mantra as he knelt in front of the narrow hatch and peered into the pitch dark beyond. What the hell are you saying? Emery asked through her aggressive gum chomping. Cavallon waved her off as he lay in front of the open hatch, then pulled himself into the dark. Stifling heat greeted him, the air gritty and thick, like sliding into a boiling river of sand. Sweat instantly beaded along his hairline. Bloody hell, he cursed, shimmying on his back until he slid fully inside. The minimal light spilling in from the repair suite disappeared into total blackness a few meters in. It's dark as the void in here, he called back toward the square of light at his feet. Can't see shit. Footsteps squeaked, and a few moments later, Emery's thin voice echoed into the inferno. Incoming! A palm-sized disc skidded across the metal floor, sliding centimeters from Cavallon's hand. He grabbed it, fumbling his fingers over the smooth surface. Switches on the side, Emery's suspicion-filled voice called from the hatch. He finally clicked the disc on, sending out a burst of blue-tinged light. Squinting as his eyes readjusted, he swept the beam to both sides. The low overhead sat only a half meter above his face, comprised of rows upon rows of meter-long missiles, waiting in cradles to be grabbed by the automated system and whisked off to launch tubes all over the ship. Despite the sweat trickling down his back, a chill rushed up his spine, and he couldn't resist a shudder. It terrified as much as impressed him that one could fit so much destruction into such a small shell. Unbidden, memories began to surface, and he clamped his eyes shut and tried to fight them away. But it was beyond useless. He'd known it was coming from the second the word missile had dropped out of his mouth. He'd held out hope he could put it off, at least get the task done, get through the rest of his first shift, second shift, third, if that's what Rake wanted, then let his exhausted, feverish dreams work it out instead. But his brain didn't seem to care. In an instant, his nostrils filled with the stale, dusty scent of the long-forgotten relief bunker under the eastern wing of his former home. 
He'd spent so much time in that old workspace, it was too easy to visualize it filling into the darkness around him, frozen in time. The beam of the light disc became the glow of the work light shining across the worn counters and onto the hastily copied schematics tacked to the wall. The whir of the bobbin filled his ears, echoing off the reinforced concrete as it wound the strands of silver into wire. The air filled with the scent of burnt flesh as he charred the tips of his fingers over and over again with that damn handheld spot welder. But any amount of pain he may have endured had been worth it. After a great deal of trial and error, and probably a little radiation poisoning, he made two of his very own, very customized replies to his grandfather's latest egomaniacal undertaking. Cavallon had told exactly one other person his plan. He'd had no choice. He'd never had much of a mind for computers and couldn't possibly figure out how to build the command circuitry on his own. Though they'd agreed to help, they urged him to reconsider, to try communication first. But only a Mercer could know how truly, utterly self-defeating that proposition was. His words had fallen on deaf ears too many times. If nothing else, this response had been too loud to ignore. It had taken him months longer than it should have, because he'd insisted both on smuggling everything directly into the manor. It wouldn't have been any fun if he hadn't built them right under Augustus's nose. And sourcing every component he couldn't literally make by hand from so far from the core, no one within 10,000 light years could be implicated. Though as altruistic as that reasoning sounded, Guilt that someone innocent might catch the blame had nothing to do with it. It had to be so obviously Cavallon's doing that even by Augustus's absurd roundabout logic, it couldn't be twisted into some ridiculous lie that would further his cause. More importantly, whether or not Augustus concocted a cover story for the public, at least he would have to know the truth. Who'd really been responsible? so he couldn't throw blame or sweep it under the rug, then ignore the problem entirely and stick Cavallon into another round of reconditioning, so he'd have to actually fucking do something about it for once. He'd certainly called Cavallon's bluff on that. He steadied his breath and tried to end it there, but the unwanted thought train rolled right on to the next suppressed memory. His last day at the manor. Cavallon had gone days without sleep, but somehow his fatigued limbs had propelled him forward as he stepped into Augustus's upholstered office, gilded depictions of his ancestors glaring down at him from the high-ceilinged walls. Despite the circumstances, his chest had been light, limbs energized, filled to the brim with a confidence completely fueled by blind relief. Because he'd done it, really done it. Finally, after all those months spent working toward it, it was over, and now, whatever happened, happened, and would be beyond his control. Panic hadn't set in until the first unnerving sight of the Mercer guard turning on him. The same people who'd shadowed him every damn place he went for the last 27 years. Men and women he'd simultaneously hated, trusted, and relied on all too often to pull him by the scruff out of his own messes. Without so much as a second thought, they'd gone after him, treating him like any other miscreant as they shackled him and locked him in the cellar. Not that he could have expected anything different. They were Augustus's lapdogs, through and through. Cavallon's chest tightened, 
the pressure weighing on his already strained heartbeat. The air thickened, and for a moment he feared the oxygen had somehow been sucked out of the infernal missile compartment. He closed his eyes and blew out a series of long, slow breaths, pushing every semi-adjacent, rage-filled memory from his mind. Some days he truly hated the fact that he could remember every damn thing he'd ever seen or done. And shit-cutting, in all likelihood, did not include having a panic attack before he could even begin the task. Summoning up a much newer memory of Rake's judgmental glower, he opened his eyes and refocused on his assignment. He slid back toward the closest line of missiles, the raised conduit tracks for the repair drones digging into his back as he shimmied. Settling under one of the central racks, his eyes drifted over the series of articulated cradles clutching each missile. He had no idea if they were meant to be unloaded this way, but he didn't see what choice he had. Turning onto his side, he folded his legs up and hunched into a massively uncomfortable crouch in the low overhead. He stuck the light disc against the underside of a nearby cradle, and it adhered with a soft shink. Shimmying one arm up around the missile, he again resisted the urge to summon his royal imprints to aid in the heavy lifting. He fumbled around with his other hand, hunting for some kind of release latch. When he found it, the cradle snapped fully open. His royal imprints triggered on instinct, flooding his arms and abdomen to help him catch the sudden weight. He locked both arms around the casing as his heart leapt up his throat, heat flooding his cheeks. Either from the shock of almost dropping a thermonuclear bomb, or from his imprints activating, or probably both. Closing his eyes, he steadied his breath again. Positive he'd die at any moment, Cavallon kept his imprints activated long enough to guide the missile safely back to the small access hatch. It clanged to the metal deck a little hard as he pushed it out into the blissfully cool repair suite. Emery stood gaping, and concerned shock creased Warner's brow as he eyed Cavallon fumbling with the heavy missile. Perspiration trickled down the back of Cavallon's neck to help drench his already damp collar. He flashed them a stiff grin. I got it, guys, he huffed. No worries. He began to heft the missile up, and they both rushed over, taking some of the weight to help him lift it off the ground. Then together, they hauled it across the room to the maintenance cradle. Pushing his sweaty hair off his forehead, Cavallon caught his breath for a few seconds while looking over the missile in the improved lighting. A series of identification and batch codes were etched into the casing, and, no surprise, Every piece of it had been stamped with the Larios Munitions logo, a thick bordered hexagon framing a splintered triangle. As one of the five royal houses of the Allied Monarchies, the Larios family had secured their role as primary weapons contractor for the Legion centuries ago. But they went by Larios Defense Technologies now. They hadn't been called Larios Munitions in ages. Cavallon cleared his throat. Uh... How old are these missiles? The Argus is from the end of the Viator War, Emery answered. So a couple of centuries? Void. He dusted off the nose of the missile to hunt for the command controls compartment. I figured you'd have updated firepower. Warner scoffed and crossed his arms. Yeah, bud, Cavallon sighed. I'm starting to get that vibe. Emery giggled. 
Yeah, they don't give us much to work with out here. She skirted the workbench and sidled up beside him. All right, so what are we doing? Warner moved forward and hovered over the tiny woman's shoulder, looking down expectantly. Cavallon's face warmed. He knew what he was doing, but something about the way they looked at him like he singularly possessed all the answers in the universe stressed him out. This whole being useful thing would take some getting used to. Uh, well, I'll do this first part, Cavallon said, eyeing them warily. With only one cradle, there wasn't really a way to make this more efficient than one at a time. But grab me an impact driver? Should have a little star-shaped bit? Emery knelt under the workbench, clanging around as she dug through the shelves, finally popping back up with an impact driver in hand. She passed the tool over to him, smacking her gum. Wire cutters next, he said. She nodded and disappeared again while he ducked under the nose of the missile to the other side of the workbench. He zipped off the six screws holding a section of the chassis in place, then pried the ancient panel free. He pulled out a clump of bundled wires. Emery appeared over his shoulder, assaulting him with the fruity smell of her bubblegum. What you doing? Uh, he lifted a brow at her, and she dropped the wire cutters into his open palm. Disabling the arming unit? Her curious expression stiffened. Uh, manually? Warner grunted. There's gotta be a way to do that through the computer. Probably, Cavallon agreed. But I think we already established no one knows how to use the software. With the edge of the wire cutters, he split the seal bundling the cabling, then singled out the wire in question and snipped it in half. Plenty void, Emery squeaked. Yet you know how to do it that way? Warner shook his head. And you were asking us who the missile specialist was? Cavallon scoffed. Trust me, I'm no specialist. He moved to the tail of the missile. Anyone can figure out how to take something apart. Emery's eyes narrowed. Pass me one of those canisters, Cavallon began. Then, with a frown, added, And some safety gloves, if you have them. In any other circumstance, he wouldn't bother, but Rake would probably yell at him if he melted all the skin off his hands. Emery shrugged off her skeptical look, digging under the counter again, while Warner walked over with one of the mismatched canisters that appropriated from the research lab. Cavallon moved to the tail of the missile and unscrewed three different access panels before he found the right one. He lowered the cradle closer to the top of the workbench, then positioned the canister under it. Warner dropped a glass funnel into the top. Emery surfaced and tossed a pair of gloves at Cavallon. He pulled them on, stretching the rubbery fabric up to his elbows. Inside the missile, he picked through the mess of wiring, fishing past the primary launch components toward the guidance module. He expected to have to pry the smaller unit open to find the thruster lines, but to his delight, the black tubing inside lay affixed to the sides of it. With the wire cutters, he snapped the brackets holding it in place, pulled the rubber tubing free, then snipped it open. Twisting the missile a few degrees in its cradle, he angled the sliced tube until the thick ACM began to flow out and into the funnel. Concern tightened his chest as the element gathering in the canister emerged much as he'd feared, a very faint, soft blue glow. 
At full power, the element would be almost blinding in its luminance, even in such small quantities, which meant the vacuum-sealed propulsion systems he'd researched must have been an advancement standardized sometime in the last two centuries. Well, he said, yanking off the gloves. Shit. Emery leaned closer. What's the problem, boss? Boss? With an effort, he ignored it and shuffled closer to the missile, squatting to put his shoulder under the tail and lift it a few centimeters so the element would drip out slightly faster. It's good you guys never had to use these things, he said. They probably have never made it to their target. Isn't this stuff supposed to last forever? Emery asked. When it's sealed in an airtight core or lines, then yes, but it weakens when it's been exposed to oxygen for this long. Damn, we gonna need more of it? Probably. Cavalon wiped a trickle of sweat off the back of his neck. Can you call the Optio up here? Sure thing, boss, Emery piped. I'm not the boss, he grumbled, but she didn't react. Emery crossed to the entrance and slid open the comms interface on the control panel beside the doorway. Bridge, this is, uh... She grinned and lowered her voice to speak in a conspiratorial hush. Special Operations Team Alpha, calling from an undisclosed location in Octo Sector. Cavalon leveled a look at her, and her grin broadened. Uh, go for bridge, Kamara's wary voice answered. Optio's presence is required for a critical inquiry. Emery, is that you? Kamara admonished. What are you doing? Emery rolled her eyes and returned to her normal timber. It's EX-sanctioned, Cam, I swear. Just send the Optio down. Yeah, copy that. I'll tell him. Kamara replied, then clicked off. Why are we doing this anyway? Emery asked, returning to lean against the workbench beside Cavalon. Don't we need these missiles to, you know, be functional? Uh, it's... Cavalon gave her a sidelong glance. Classified. Warner scoffed. Emery laughed. That's a pretty boss-like thing for a not-boss to say. Cavalon forced a grin and chose to ignore them. Might as well drain a few while we wait, he said. Every little bit would help. Cavalon left them to monitor the Asium collection while he returned to the sauna-slash-storage room to bring out more missiles, more than happy to let them continue in their ignorance of his royal imprints. Emery rambled on while they worked, detailing stories she'd heard that sounded half-made up about how Rake's predecessor used to decide on promotions and duty assignments involving elaborate bribing schemes, indentured servitude, and climbing the ranks of cage-fighting tournaments. Rake's far less dystopian version of the Argus seemed reasonable in comparison. Sirs, Warner barked suddenly as Cavalon pushed a fourth missile out into the repair suite. Emery's back went straight so fast, Cavalon thought she'd given herself whiplash. Oculi? Jackin said. What is it? Cavalon has a question, sir, Emery barked. Cavalon squirmed his way out of the hatch, narrowing his eyes at her in disbelief. Just that quickly, she morphed into a whole different person. Okay, as you were, Jackin instructed. They returned to the workbench and Jackin looked to Cavalon. What's the problem? 
A few drops of sweat slid off Cavallon's forehead onto the missile as he rested it carefully on the floor. These warheads are pretty ancient, Optio. He stood and found Rake had arrived as well. She leaned in the doorway behind Jackin, arms crossed. Yeah, they're Viator War leftovers, Jackin said. Cavallon nodded to the dimly glowing canister. You know, oxidation and all that, sir. Shit, Jackin grumbled. I didn't even think about that. I know they pulled the jump drive out of this thing, Cavallon said. But what about the accelerator lines? Jackin licked his lips, then his eyes went wide. Man, you're fucking brilliant. There's no way they'd have bothered to drain the lines. And they should be airtight. Jackin nodded, slowly at first, then with growing fervor. Right. So if we vent the sector, get a spacesuit, we can drain what's left without any oxidation. Maximum potency, Cavallon agreed. That's great. Rake stepped up beside Jackin. Where are the accelerator lines? Jackin's smile faded. Where the jump drive was? She let out a sigh. So we have to evacuate all of Novum's sector. Bulkhead doors back, yeah. Rake pushed her hair out of her face. Okay, Jack, make the order. Send them to the mess. Try to keep it quiet though, yeah? Jackin nodded. You got it, boss. Rake moved aside to let Jackin pass, and the Optio scurried out the door. She eyed Emery and Warner at the repair cradle, then the line of missiles by the hatch, before looking to Cavalon. This is some halfway decent shit cutting Oculus. He flashed a grin. Well, you gave me homework, and I'm clearly an A-plus student. Her eyes glinted ever so slightly. She didn't grin, but she didn't not grin. So, Cavalon said. I suppose you'll be expecting me to, uh, see it through, as they say. She afforded him the tiniest of smiles. Get on it, soldier. Oddly, that same fire kindled in his stomach. He could see why everyone regarded her so highly. That look of approval was addicting. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can find The Last Watch and its sequel, The Exiled Fleet, wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you. <laughs>